Live from the Central Services Office, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Hello, Tim. We are really in the way here. Yes, there's a lot of hustle and bustle going on. Something's happening. I don't know. This office is either very efficient or just very busy. I'm a little confused because some things look futuristic, but they're all just passing papers around. There's a lot of paper around here. All the computers look a little old. It's not not that paperless society Bill Gates promised us a couple decades ago. Very strange. Very very odd place. But hi. Hi. Yeah, we'll have to go find a corner and maybe they won't bother us. Yeah, hopefully. I don't really want to get in anyone's way here. No. So, welcome to Derail Trains of Thought, your premier podcast on storytelling. For the creator and the consumer. Yeah, so I, I, I'm not used to the first half. I had to, like, remember what I was going to say. We've only been using that to intro for... I know, but I always have to do the second half. <laughs> not always. Okay. Anyway. I guess well, sometimes I have to prompt you, even if you are Yeah, hosting. I don't always remember. So Well, good job. Yeah, thank you. That's it, guys. I, I need to encourage you whenever I can. <laughs> We're done. Goodbye. <laughs> no, wait, wait. The world's short, shortest episode. Okay. There's more. I, wait, I there's, there's more. more. Yes, there's more. All right. Um, anyways, how's, how are things going, Tim? I can't complain. Um, thankfully, Janelle is doing really well with her pregnancy. By the time this comes out, it'll be about a month left. Something like that, or maybe even a little less than a month by the time it comes out. We'll see. Um, yeah, so October could be an interesting time for the podcast. Yes. Um, yes. But And also, by the time this comes out, the second season of Let's Finally Watch This will have started. Which you should be listening to if you haven't been. Indeed, yeah. This month in September, we've been uh, covering from the decades of 19... 19- 1900 to 1920s? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it includes one decade with 1913 that we didn't really cover last season. So yeah. that was really interesting. Yeah. yeah. So we got a lot of neat history on film for you to uh, enjoy. All right. I guess with that, we'll go ahead and jump into our story school. So we were going down the list of ideas we had, and I, I came across one that was I'd written down, I guess, probably a couple of years ago now, about just kind of things and stories that bother you. That get under your skin. Get under your skin. So let me start with this quote from Fahrenheit 451, which I think inspired my idea. Okay. Which I guess you told me that you last taught that three years ago, so maybe that's when you wrote this down. I, I, yeah. So I'm like, I was trying to remind myself what I meant when I wrote it. <laughs> but there's a quote in it that's from Guy Montag, the main character, and he says... We need to be really bothered once in a while. How long has it been since you were really bothered about something important, about something real? And I think there's another quote somewhere in the book that also inspired me, and I don't know where it is at the moment. But this idea that sometimes stories bother you, and is that a good thing? Bradbury's assuming it is. But are all the different ways things get under your skin, get stuck in your craw, get lodged in your soul and won't let go, are those all good? And maybe what's the purpose as a creator? Should we try to get under people's skin or not? Mm, interesting questions, Nick. Yes. Good luck, audience. Go for it. No, uh, <laughs> no so I, I think there's several categories. I think we'll start with the easiest, most obvious, which is that sort of just like the scary factor, the eerie, the ooh, the disgusting. The disturbing. Yeah, just you know, just uh, that visceral reaction. Yeah. This happens most primally i think as kids you know yes. stuff that scares movies that scare us as, as a kid and then as a grown-up you're like oh, okay whatever well, because it's like it's not just like it scares like oh jump scare but it's like it becomes this thing that like i can't do anything anymore like i know um my sister for a while liked to go to horror movies and she watched blair witch and she couldn't even she didn't even walk to her car after to go out of the theater because uh, yeah. that movie was very unique at this time and very mm. Realist, I don't know if realistic is the right word, but got under your skin, a yeah. lot of people's skin. Well, I mean, it's the sort of stuff that would cause nightmares for kids. Yep. Like Sometimes it's just a factor of, I don't know how to deal with this. I remember having nightmares for commercials related to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, mm-hmm. like them swimming in Cheerios and the one getting, which doesn't actually happen in the movie where like one gets eaten by their parents or something. I don't remember. But yeah. I, I just remember a shot of him like 
going down his dad's throat and being just terrified by that whole idea. But like, I didn't know what to do with it. Cause like, that's even though that's not something that would ever happen. Yeah. What do you do with that weird imagery that's well, in your head now? And like cartoons, especially like weird dream sequences. Yeah. Really get on. I remember actually, I think as a kid, we went to Disney world and we went to, um, Mr. Toad's wild ride. Mm, and sure. at some point, like the train comes at you and then like you go into this hellscape, you know, like it says hellscape, but it's really like fires and dead. You're just uh-huh. like, kid like freaked out like yeah what, what is this this is supposed to be a fun ride i'm at disney world why do you do this to me yeah um yeah no animation has sometimes it's on the edge of that knife like i remember sometimes having nightmares on looney tunes stuff and i used to watch looney tunes all the all mm-hmm. the time but every now and then like your brain would process something just slightly differently mm-hmm. and you'd be like what i remember there's this one cartoon where Daffy Duck is hosting a game show and he puts Porky Pig through these sadistic games, Mm -hmm. which I watched that cartoon many times. And then every now and then like, wait, this is, if you take it a little little more realism or a little more like you start thinking about it in a certain way. In a certain way, be like, wait, what is this? So I guess what this shows, I mean, obviously some of this is just, I feel like there's a dream sequence in some cartoon I can't remember. It's probably a Don Bluth one or something like that. Just like, <laughs> what is going on? Uh-huh. Um, probably All Dogs Go to Heaven. I've only ever seen that once because we were all be. like, what the heck was that? <laughs> yeah. Very old memories of some movie we saw at the theater. And then it just got, it like, it just wouldn't leave. You know, yeah. it just, it's like, it's like, what do they call it? Earworm? Mm, yeah. But not good. Yeah. Yeah. We've, and we've touched on this a little bit when we did, the, we had a whole episode on the, what do we call it? The, the weird, the bizarre, and the ugly. Yeah. But I do, I do think like being bothered in that way is more, especially when you're young, more you trying to come to, come to terms with the world. Come yeah. Come to terms with what's real, what's pain, what, you know, some of these dark parts of the world can be discovered even through relatively, I won't say innocent because they're not, but like a cartoonish. Benign. Benign methods just yeah. because you know at some point death starts being real or pain or loss or you know these things philosophically i i think a difference between just the primal aspect of that is weird and not unfamiliar can veer into the like realization of oh there's something wrong here mm-hmm. there's something wrong with the world and that can follow us into an adult reaction to something disturbing in a movie yeah. whether it's a horror movie or or something else just the idea of like there's a video game series that had an anime spinoff called Danganronpa, okay. which had some moments like that, sometimes with characters that you had come to love getting brutally killed. But I remember in the anime, there was this one part where this teacher gets brainwashed mm-hmm. and like it completely changes her personality and it's never fixed. Oh, wow. And that's... That's kind of a disturbing. Like you know, I've seen plenty of things where like someone is brainwashed and like, hey, snap out of it, and, yeah. la- and later they do. But this was like, no, her the rest of her life, wow. as far as we know, she was this completely had completely different motives, and um, one that feels wrong in terms of like robbing someone of their free will, but also just any time where this was really a thing for me as a kid, where the bad guys won, mm-hmm. just felt so wrong. You know, I feel like kids get a, get more of this style too because they haven't quite separated story and reality in the same mm. way. Like they, they flow together a little more. Uh-huh. Nowadays, like someone gets brainwashed in a show, you're like, your brain's telling you, that's a show. Like we're watching for the drama, for the mm. interest. Now, some really good shows can still break that down, uh-huh. even adults, but I think it's harder because we've been exposed to so many different yeah. Yeah, tropes you, and st- beats and we've analyzed it on 140 some episodes and we we yeah. put our we give ourselves a little bit more distance mm-hmm. from the reality of the horror of evil and but. i think the downside too then is as kids then or even as adults if you stro- you get some movie that really impacts you just f- reveals some terror in you or some dark spot is movies are very emotional we've talked about that very visceral sometimes is how do you balance that how do you find a an answer, you know, you just go, well, I watched Waiting for Godot, life's useless. You know, <laughs> like, it's a strange or whatever. And I think for kids, especially, they got to figure out, okay, I lived this thing. Mm-hmm. How do I process it in such a way that it's not true? Or if it is true, how do I live with it? And I think as a Christian, like, if I'm working with my kids, like, we can say, we have various things we can tell them, like, about true, about God, about him being in control, about praying and all that <laughs> stuff. But... Mm-hmm. So it can be a really good opportunity if you have answers, but like you're, if you don't or or you just have trouble making it as real as that show was, it can be hard to process. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, on a kid's level, 
just tell them God is bigger than the boogeyman. Yeah, <laughs> I was seeing that the other day in the car, and all my kids started joining. Like, yay! <laughs> and you know that, and that's that's one level of it. As adults, if we're processing something like Saving Private Ryan or mm-hmm. Schindler's List, where like we're confronted with the darkness of humanity, which, which is real, which like, is real. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that hits harder, even in some ways, like. Horror stuff bothers me, even not even watching it, just hearing that some people will watch it sometimes be like, why subject yourself to that idea? Why are you exploring this? Why is this some unhealthy obsession? Yeah. I've heard some people say that sometimes those sorts of things are also people's way of processing trauma that has actually happened to them, Hmm. maybe in a more extreme version of it. Okay. So I guess there's that aspect to it, but... Regardless, as adults, we still kind of have to figure out how do we deal with the darkness of the world. And sometimes we need that reminder of, because it's easy, the the whitewash things. It, it really is, especially in certain, like, I live in a relatively innocent space. You know, I teach other Christians. I mean, not, not that everything's perfect, but it doesn't have that same level of darkness. Watching um, Broadchurch. You, you know, I, 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 I think we talked now. about it on the podcast, but the season, especially season one and three, there's just some really truthful ugly parts of life and you're just like okay this is a thing you gotta process i think that's some people feel that recently watching um sound of freedom okay like um my parents-in-law you know saying like okay watch it what i do about this sure because that's about you know human trafficking Mm -hmm. um so i guess it is important to be bothered to go back to bradbury's idea in some of these ways because we gotta figure out okay this is a real part of life not that we want to just say, I need to be real, and the more real, the better. But yeah. also, how do we be compassionate through this? How do, Are there ways in which we can help? The follow-up to these stories is pretty important. Yes. I mean, subjecting yourself to violent material and then just letting it sit is probably not healthy. No. Um, I'm not sure it's good to make a story like that. Like, what's the point of just saying, yeah. here it is? Yeah. No, it's true. I don't. I don't think that, that there's a whole lot of value to things that are like the torture porn category yeah. that people talk about with the Saw movies or yeah. um, that sort of thing. I don't, it's like, eh, I don't think suspense just for the sake of suspense is not meaningful. You need to yeah. have some, uh, some worthwhile thought and idea in there. Yeah. And I don't know that those movies do, at least from just hearing about it from the outside. But hopefully the ones that are disturbing and have a good reason, then you process that and honestly talk with fellow believers mm-hmm. about if you have questions about like why would God allow these things to happen like human trafficking and whatnot yeah don't just sit on it think about it read about it and, and I do think I guess we're getting kind of into what intersects with your worldview but at least from a Christian point of view real wrestling with the theology of suffering and the problem of evil I think is necessary for a deep faith yeah if you just I think there are enough people who like they have a belief system and then they come across this this thing and then they're like Okay, it doesn't work anymore. Yeah, yeah, you it know? just throws them off off the rails. Yeah. yeah, and it is. I mean, it is a real thing. But yeah, no, that's true because if Christianity is true, which we believe it yeah. is, it needs to be able to address a lot of different avenues of life. Yes, and that includes the problem of suffering. I guess then we're saying is that some of these bothering things help us be more fully. I mean, done right and followed through can help us be more fully human, more truthfully human. Sure, we're saying if truth matters. We need to know all of it. Well, we don't need to know all of it, but it we can be helpful. We need to have a full understanding, not maybe a every minutia. Yeah, we don't need <laughs> but, to feel everything, but yeah. we maybe should just have a, a relatively comprehensive view of the world. Yeah. So let's move off the sort of just the, the dark version or the like... Just plain disturbing, just plain scary disturbing. stuff, yeah. I think there's also those that are bother you, be either they're philosophically or maybe existentially challenging in the okay. sense that like... You have a way you look at the world and you see something else in a movie, a book, and you're suddenly like, okay, what do I do with this? I mean, I guess it's kind of the same thing we, we were moving towards, but this is more intellectual, I think. Yeah. I mean, and this can apply to even things outside of stories. Like, you get into a debate with someone yes. about a worldview issue or a political issue and then be like, it can be kind of startling because, like, you know that there are people who believe in differently than you, but sometimes when you actually encounter one— your brain has to like reprocess. Wait, how can they actually believe this? Yeah. Or I think I've felt it sometimes is bothering sometimes where like, it seems like everyone loves a certain thing and watch it. I don't understand it. And it bothered me like, okay, what is everyone seeing this thing? Not that I want to like it, but I want to get, what is this saying to people? So I can just understand people sure. and the world. And 
one of my more, most recent examples, I, it's still a couple years old now, is I read, I think we talked about on the podcast at some January episode, Always Coming Home by Ursula Gwen. Mm-hmm. Very, it's like 400 pages. She, she builds this amazingly complex world. And there's a lot of things like abortion in it and um, certain religious beliefs. And the thing is, she sells it absurdly well. And the whole time reading, like, I don't agree with this, but where do we split off? And it just, it was one of those books that my brain just kept coming back to being like, okay, what do I do with this? Um, I think that was really in the long run helpful because, you know, I don't want to just say, well, I'm wrong or just say she's wrong, but like, okay, where is this? Where, where does this go with? And it was, it was a really powerful, I, I give her major props, a really powerful presentation of a worldview that's completely different, not completely, many ways different than mine. Mm-hmm. And I thought was a good, because books are dialogue. Books are dialogue between you and what, if you're reading right, between what they're saying and what you're saying. And I think that sometimes the dialogue is challenging. Sure. Just for reference, you talked about that in Sidetrack 12 when we did, it was originally cut from an episode. Oh, okay. That's our bits and pieces one. Okay. Okay. So, so if anyone wants to listen to that, go check out Sidetrack 12 bits and yeah. pieces to hear Nick's full thoughts about always coming home. Yeah. Ursula Gwen's quite the writer. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I was trying to think if I have a similar example to that. I mean, I think my other examples would be things that you and I have, I think might fall more into the next category. Mm -hmm. But I do think Neon Genesis Evangelion might have some of this. Although that one doesn't necessarily present, well, I guess it does kind of present some of what it's exploring as a worldview, kind of, sort of. It's a lot of... I mean, the creator was dealing with his own depression in the process, and some of that comes out. But I, I just remember... Yeah, it's almost impossible to go through that series. Not be bothered somewhere. Not be bothered somewhere (laughs) along the way by the ideas and the wrestling with identity and and all the things that is Ava. (laughs) Uh, Which I think is probably at the heart, the most natural reading of Bradbury's quote here about how long has it since you've been bothered. I mean, it's a book, Fahrenheit 451 is a book about books. You know, it's about not censorship, about reading and interacting with the world, finding both all the wondrous things in the world that they're dead into through Uh various things. But also, I think this idea just books bring a world to you. And there is something good about having world presented to you that you're like, I don't agree with this world that's being presented. Yeah. I guess a documentary that made me think that way along those lines, Fahrenheit 9-11. Okay, yeah. Speaking of Fahrenheit's, I remember just watching that having a dialogue it's like yeah but wait you're skipping things you're very being very selective in what you're presenting yeah. and i this is something that was very apparently very uh persuasive to some people but not to me <laughs> i guess here's a question i'm saying and i think you're saying too that it is helpful or sometimes good to read these things that are or watch these things that are contrary do you think that's always true or you know is it better just only only absorb the stories that are more in your line I think it's good to have a diet of things. I think it's fine to spend more of your time on the things that are mm-hmm. good. But I mean, it's good to, I think, occasionally explore yeah. the things that you're going to disagree with and see, one, maybe there are going to be some points like, okay, that's a fair point, yeah. but you well, know, I may not like these other points. Well, I mean, I guess that's kind of when we were at Taylor, we had the, well, I don't remember which theology class, but where we read Finding the World, Siddhartha, and our favorite, The Stranger. Um, <laughs> our favorite to make fun of. Yes. Uh, Foundations of Christian Thought, yes. which I always thought was a funny name because, I mean, it starts with foundations by also explaining what other worldviews are. Yeah. When I guess they, we did also did um, a C.S. Lewis, we did... Um, Paral- was, no, it was Out of the Silent Planet. Out of the Silent Planet, yeah. Which is not as good as Paralandra. But, it, but you uh, need to read Out of yeah, the Silent yeah. Planet first. Well, like, right now we're reading Call the Wild with my students again. I hadn't done for a couple of years. Um, and I sometimes tell them, like, guys, it's a great book, but Jack London is coming from a much more social Darwinist point of view, and some of this might, you might not like. I mean, like the dog just gets beat to pieces in the first chapter. And, you know, all my animal loving students are always like, why are we reading this? <laughs> okay, that's a minor version, but it's done in right and kind of, I guess, especially as you growing up sparingly, it does stretch you. Mm-hmm. Or in some ways, if we come from belief system, it can inoculate you, saying, like, this is a real thing people believe wrestle with it yeah but in us you know in confines of safety for children i'm talking more for that sure sure yeah and i do think so there's a a book that i think a lot about when it comes to i haven't reread it in a long time but i think about it a lot when it comes to the church interacting with culture and it's a book called real spirituality r-e-e-l this focuses on film 
And I may have mentioned it on here on the podcast before, but it's probably been a while. But the part I most remember from that is talking about the history of the church and how it interacted with film over the decades and how different Christians would respond with different attitudes, some fully embracing it, some being much more like restrictive on it. Yeah. But I remember thinking I'm probably mostly on the there's a step removed from like fully embracing that's the like the dialogue step mm-hmm. that I tend to probably most fall on. Yeah, I think with. we both are largely there. Yeah. And an example of this dichotomy of how the church reacts to it was Martin Scorsese's movie, The Last Temptation of Christ. Mm-hmm. This is all going off of my memory from watching it uh, junior in college, so bear with me. But there was a huge controversy about when that came out, thinking it was blasphemous and all this stuff. But Scorsese is, I think, nominally at least a Catholic. Yeah. And there's a text in the beginning of the film saying this is not meant to be a historical representation of Jesus, an exploration of his humanity and this kind of stuff. And I think it's more worthwhile to take him at his word there than just blanket, this is an affront to who Jesus is. Okay, yeah. Because, no, it's it's not a biblical accounting. It's an interesting exploration. It's less biblically faithful than, say, The Chosen is. Yes. But he's exploring the story as an artist and in good faith as someone who's not trying to denigrate the story, but just explore aspects of it. Mm-hmm. And it's more, in my perspective, it's more worthwhile to have a conversation with that. Yeah. Even if like, and I remember watching it and like processing, well, I didn't like this, but this was interesting. Yeah. And that had a nugget of truth there. So yeah, that's where I think, yeah, that dialogue is useful. So I think, especially on this level, the the being bothered to process well requires a lot of, I guess, patience and, and thought. Just being bothered and being done with it might may be better for some people. Like I, I'm not going to do this because I can't. I don't have process. the brain. I don't, I don't have the brain space for this. Yeah, or, yeah, I can't, or I don't have the frame of reference to. I know what I think. And I don't want to deal with that. But then again, you do. Everyone's want to be challenged because, I mean, I think we're all looking for the truth. Yeah. Again, it, it will depend a lot on the person, and as a parent, that's also something you have to be aware of. Like, where's the line, and how how do I want my children yeah. to respond to this kind of mm-hmm. stuff? Like. My family, we didn't watch, my folks didn't have us watch The Lion King growing up yeah. because of like, there's African. There's like a lot of animism and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And they just like, you don't need to worry about this at your age. Yeah. It's not something that should be, they didn't want to see that in a kid's yeah, exactly. movie. Which I, I and, respect that. And sometimes I think that's smart to be like, look, this worldview idea is wrong versus like, just ratings. Yeah. But here's an interesting question. We say that, but at the same time, I know that your youngest just went through Avatar The Last Airbender. Yes. How old is she? She is seven. Seven. Okay. So, but you felt like, because I know there's there's definitely a lot of Eastern- There's a lot of Eastern stuff. Yeah. Eastern stuff yeah. in there. Did you ever have a quandary of like, mm, is she ready for this? Or? I guess with Mercy, not partly because I think even when we started, we kind of said, hey, this, you know, this is, and she's pretty good about figuring out what's real and what's- Fantasy. Just fantasy made up stuff. I okay. mean, I think she's pretty good at it. But yeah, with some kids, you might, they might not have want questions. to. Yeah, might but have she, questions you may not want to have, Yeah, Yeah, but with. she, yeah, I don't think she's, our perception, and we watched some of the early ones with her, was that this is, she's not going to take it as mm-hmm. true. She's going to take it just like once upon a time sort of stuff. Sure, sure. Um, no, it just as I, uh, on the threshold of being a parent. It's hard, yeah. Because it's the sort of thing that I'm thinking of more. And the the needs for kids are different than the needs for a teenager. Yes. And, and a, every adult. kid's very, it, it's interesting because recently we're talking about, we had to watch some Doctor Who with our two oldest. And uh-huh. we waited for a while because it's a little it gets scary heavy. and stuff like that. Yeah. But like Serenity loves it. Theo says he doesn't, somebody says it gets a little too much for him. Interesting. And I think some of it's like, Field is great with fantasy, like full on fantasy. When things mm-hmm. start blending with some real, like I think, like Daleks are fine, but like, like the Satan Pit episode, where it's like oh, it's okay. kind of religious, but it's kind of, I mean, it's, yeah. So when things get blendy, it just it just gets under his skin. You know, my sister Danielle, who who was a guest on the podcast yeah. earlier this year, growing up, she had a very similar thing. Like mm-hmm. there's parts of Doctor Who that were a little too intense, probably because of that blending. But she loved the Jurassic Park movies. Yeah, yeah. Because she's like, they're dinosaurs. I'm not. I'm not it, that. The same field loves Jurassic Park. Yeah. It just there's there's levels of like it's that separation. Which shows can you watch? And you're you know like this is complete fiction, mm-hmm. and you can separate yourself. And what is like 
not for you. You can't keep the distance. Yeah. I think knowing that's really important too. Yeah. And that, I think that makes sense for your kids on both a primal and a philosophical level. Yeah. Like, yeah. what are you going to be okay with them wrestling with? And maybe for yourself too. I mean, yeah, there's certain things like, like, I can't watch that. Like, maybe it's okay, but that's just going to get on my skin or that's going to, or even just with questionable content. Like, no, that's going to just, yeah. those curse words are going to just seep in and be straight. I don't need to see that, that nudity. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's true. And then I think the third level we were talking about, which is, Kind of different. This is more just story, I guess. Okay. It's kind of that reconciliation. Like, how do you take something that doesn't? This happens. I know you and I have done had this, where you watch something and like you liked it, but you can't make the pieces fit. So it just sticks in your head and bothers you because you're like, it should work or it doesn't work like I thought it should. Yeah, or I think something's working, but I don't quite understand what they're going for. Yeah. Yeah, we, we've talked about that most recently with the prisoner. The prisoner. Like we watched the first last episode, which was. A fabulous finale. Like the finale was trippies all get out. It was very true else. to the show that is uh, the prisoner. But also one of those that like for at least a week afterwards, we just kept like throwing ideas back to each other. Like, what about this? What is? And we did. Re- you know, it's just yeah. You, you got stuck. If you heard us talk about it on the weekly hijack, you heard some of the discussion. The discussion went way longer <laughs> after that episode. Believe me. I mean, it was at least a week or two. We met back here. And then we were just like, we spent like an hour talking about that episode again. We were, we read uh, interviews with the creator, the star and creator. Yeah. And I mean, it was delicious in some ways trying to decipher that. It felt like looking back on it, it felt like a rehash of the lost days. And, and maybe it's interesting, but maybe that bothering is, is at the root, the same as all the other, which is you're looking for meaning. Mm. It's a search for meaning. Being bothered by a story suddenly, like how you thought the world worked, what it means you can't quite make it work out again. You gotta, you gotta fit all the blocks. You gotta make the Tetris. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> even if it's just a story, you're like, someone made this, made these creative choices for a reason, mm-hmm. and I gotta figure out what that reason is. Because like, if their brain works in this way, I want to understand it. Yeah, and, and I think most people's order, even they say that there is no order of the universe, they want order of the universe, and we believe there is order of the universe. So we gotta figure out. We can't figure out everything because we're not omniscient, but right. we want to be like, the world we understand, does it make sense? And stories are stories are people's exploration of what's real and what's true and what's beautiful. And we all have that own idea of our own. And when we come across one that's like, wait, you think that's what it, we need to know? Yeah. We, we, need, we, want, we want to know. We need answers. We need answers. <laughs> In the case of The Prisoner, it was a case of really masterful, clever storytelling Maybe not perfect, but interesting enough. There are also cases where you'll be like, okay, that bothered me. Why didn't it work? Yeah. Like, what were, you know, sometimes it feels like a story is trying to confuse his audience. Sometimes you don't think it's trying to confuse his audience, but it did anyway. Yeah. (laughs) And so you just, yeah, you got to make it work somehow. Yeah. So I think, I think in a lot of ways, one of the, and I keep coming back to this, done right, done in the proper dose at the proper time, being bothered is a really good, in some ways, growth exercise. Sure. In both, maybe not not only just like what you believe or what you think is true, or maybe just facts you didn't hadn't reconciled with, but also just like in the understanding of story and the art of it and how do we process it, you know, all those questions. Yeah. And I think from a creator perspective, mm-hmm. I think it's important to be intentional about the parts that you want to bother your audience, yeah. the parts that you want your audience to be bothered by. The shock value, I don't think, is something that a Christian should go for. Yeah. For shock value on its own is not a healthy thing, I don't think. I'm not, like, as a creator, I don't do a lot of things I think are like, oh, this is going to be under your skin. But I think there's probably two or three instances. One that I remember people saying got under their skin was in um, A Girl Called Snort. During the Lady Lillian section, there's this yeah. weird scene where she's basically just, like, licking all her food um, and putting it back. And it's it's a very... Disturbing. That, that's just one part of a lot of weird well, stuff from Lady Lillian. Yeah, that's true. And 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 I think as a writer, my point was just to to slowly unveil this like what you thought was a good person. There's something deeply wrong here, mm-hmm. and hopefully you didn't just see it, but you felt it. Uh, and I guess your other example would be from Strin and Fred, the mound. See, you know, I had forgotten about that one, but yes, which is just also the world's wrong. Like that scene is especially about like, this is the sick part of the world uh-huh. and trying to make you feel that. And I think that got under people's skin to a certain extent. It was gross. It was gross. Between the mound itself and then the madman's reaction. Yeah, it was just, it's, it's nasty. And again, it's almost like a, 
especially the madman's very broken. He like in some ways sees horrible things as good and good things as like his whole world's upside down. Mm. And that should make you feel wrong. Mm. You know, in some ways it's good to feel bothered about things that are supposed to bother you. Yeah. I mean, that sounds weird but and obvious, but it's not always. Like sometimes we try to feel good about things that should bother us, which I think is really bad storytelling. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of that in our current culture today. <laughs> yeah. And so I think in some ways, I don't know if you've talked about this, as a creator, making the things that are supposed to be wrong bother the audience is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, and it's not necessarily as obvious as you would think it would be. And it may be that in some ways that it can be a redemptive work that sends that like reclaiming that this is supposed to bother you. Yeah. Like in some ways, trying to find ways to make old sins or old whatever that people don't care about anymore, make them seem wrong again, mm. might really be a good story thing. I can see um, that. I just now thought that I need to do that more often. Um, <laughs> made this a good ending spot. Make people feel bad. <laughs> Make people feel bad about what's bad. Yeah. I mean, I know I, I just say this every year probably about this time, but I'm teaching Romans again for eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And the first chapter, first two chapters basically like, all right, you're horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but again, yeah. Paul has to start with that because we got to know that this stuff is bad before we can get to why certain things are good. Mm -hmm. And I think... A creator who can properly make you feel good about good things and bad about bad things, as obvious as that seems, is really a really good skill in a confused world. Mm -hmm. A lot of that really focuses on the first aspect, the scary or the... Yeah. the if, as a creator, if you want to be the other things, like one, present a philosophy for people to wrestle with. Mm -hmm. Honestly, if you're being truthful to your philosophy in some way, hopefully people from another worldview... They'll, they'll just be like, "What? why are you saying this? Yeah. <laughs> but the third thing, don't know that necessarily every story needs to be as confusing as the finale to The Prisoner. No, I think <laughs> that's a very specified uh, type of story. Yeah. I think those stories have to be a little more philosophical and uh, head-trippy to begin with. And not necessarily the norm. No, no, I wouldn't say that was the norm. That's your, that's your specials. <laughs> All right, I think that's a good wrap-up for Story School. So now we're moving to Soundtrack. So something in video games that used to kind of creep me out a bit as a kid sometimes was the game over screen. Mm -hmm. Because you're really living the, you're like, you're like I'm the, you know, I was talked about as, as a kid, you had this very innate sense of the good guys have to win. Yeah. And when you get a game over screen, you're like, wait, I remember the game over in the arcade version of Final Fights. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it was just a classic beat em up, go rescue your girlfriend thing. The game over screen is your character tied up with like a dynamite in That's front of right, them. That's right, yeah. And it'll count down like, you want to put in more quarters to save your character? And if you don't, well, and he looks pretty scared. He's about to get blown up. But the another game over screen that I remember kind of freaking me out was for Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. For one, when you died, Link is like, has his blink as if he's in great pain. And then there's this silhouette of Ganon, the, yeah. the main villain, just laughing evilly. And it's like, ah, that's not the way this is supposed to work. And it didn't help that Zelda 2 was a hard game. Yeah. But anyway, so that's, I'm taking a remix from that game. This one is called, Do You Need a Light? And it is by The Platonist. Even though I that was a pretty creepy setup, this song is actually much more chipper than that. Yes, so yes it is. I hope you enjoy.
So that was that was fun. I enjoyed that. Not oh, good. near as scary as dying. No, no, not so much. <laughs> All right. Uh, next, we'll go on to Once Upon a Scene. So last month, we played this clip. Humans do not fight in the Mutai. Go back to Earth. Walker Smith. And I don't think you check the email. We don't have no one in the email. Now I did. I was listening to the podcast in the car. Just go over it before I got published. I think maybe even after I got published because I was late. And I asked my son, hey, do you know this? He's like, that's that uh, knockout one from Babylon 5, right? I'm like, yes. So I would say he got it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Again, I guess to be fair, we are recording this only like a week after the episode came out. So Oh, that's true. If you did email us since then... Uh, we'll, uh, we'll try congratulations. To, congratulations. We'll make a note of that and, and mention it next time. Uh, but yes, TKO, which we've, uh, called probably the worst episode of Babylon five. Although as for filler, it's also quite funny. It is. Especially if you watch it with other people like we did for the weekly hijack. <laughs> Even if you didn't listen to the weekly hijack Babylon five, it might be worth listening just to TKO one. <laughs> we were, we had a blast. <laughs> Ripping that one apart. It's, Walker uh, Smith. What? Walker Smith. <laughs> <laughs> the disdain he says that. Because, of course, every every science fiction show at some point just does a Fight Club episode for no good reason. <laughs> I don't understand. Anyways, that was um, interesting, regardless. Last month. So we have a new one for you this month. Yes. So, Tim, can you cue it up? Here it is. The beam will rid you of your fears, your thoughts, your vital essence. Well, that sounded ominous. Yes, and I won't. I won't say what it's not from this time. Oh yeah, it's clearly from the stranger. It, obviously, <laughs> I mean that voice is very like whatever the stranger's name is. <laughs> I'm sure Albert Camus had that voice in mind. Oh, yeah. He's French. He's like, we all sound like this. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right, folks. Tell us what story that is actually from, and you will win some excellent kudos. Maybe some fortune cookies. <laughs> You're getting ahead of yourself. Yes, now. I am. It's called foreshadowing. Oh. Ooh. Anyways, yes, please send us in by email. Derail train send that, us in? Oh, send your answer in. <laughs> okay. Um, derailed wait yeah, derailed just, trains at gmail.com yeah our twitter thread is derailed underscore trains or x thread oh well yeah I I, does anyone actually call it x yet I don't know even get on it so I don't know <laughs> <laughs> everyone's like twitter I mean x <laughs> no, I don't think I don't think it's going to change it's, it's forever twitter yeah probably at this point yes you message us on facebook as well that's right. So please do. We'd love to hear from you. And you write the the stranger as the answer. You win. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what. Don't encourage him, folks. <laughs> Anyways, we thought it's been a while since we've done our next segment, which is a bit of story. trying to think through like okay what bit of story we usually just pick one of my flash fictions and i've not been particularly uh proactive writing lately now we did do um bradbury last time we did a bradbury it was a lot so. of fun yeah it was but this time uh we're going back to the well of works of nick.com which is website that doesn't get updated much anymore no it, it needs to but yeah it'll be a bit but anyways we're like okay what what kind of goes with our theme you like to kind of tie it in and we found this one uh, called I Don't Open Fortune Cookies Anymore. So which you wrote, looks like three years ago. Yeah. Wow. June 9th, 2020. I just feel old. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't 40 yet at that point. Whoa. Almost was. Oh. Anyways, yes. <laughs> Any case, without further ado, I Don't Open Fortune Cookies Anymore. I used to open the fortune cookies at Chinese restaurants just like everyone else. You know, you read the fortune, if it even is a fortune anymore, and not just some pithy bit of half-wisdom. 
you will succeed in business. You know, that's how fortunes used to read. And you didn't really believe it. I never knew anyone who did, but it made you feel better. It gave you a sort of buzz. Everything's going to be okay. I don't know why. I don't think anyone really believes those things. Not really. But we like them. Never met anyone who didn't like them. Well, no, one time there was a guy at a business meeting. He was a Christian and said he thought the fortunes were superstitious and he didn't much care for them. I thought that was really funny. Back then I did. I don't open fortune cookies anymore. It's stupid, I know. I'm a sophisticated guy. If you knew who I am, dug a bit on the internet, you'd figure out I'm no slouch. I've made a lot of money. I've been all over the world. I've got some famous people's numbers to my phone. You'd recognize their names if I've mentioned them. So I'm busy. Addison's busy too. Always was. She's independent. We used to share each other's electronic calendars. She can tell you everything I'm saying is true. I wouldn't make this stuff up. The first time, the first time I noticed at least, was about two years ago, September 24th. I know the date because it's still in my calendar, 1.32 p.m. on September 24th. It said, dip tie in coffee. Sitting there just like it was a meeting or a video conference. I saw it that morning, probably around 6.30 when I was looking over my schedule. I stared at it. I thought maybe Google was testing something, or maybe it was one of those weird celebrations or obscure events they're always making a big deal of. I don't know. It irked me, but I had to get moving. Traffic was worse than ever with the end of the season construction, and Addison insisted on trying to talk to me. I forgot about it. Later that day, guess what? Boom. Idiot move. Somehow the end of my tie dropped into my coffee. It's never happened before or since. I didn't even make the connection at first. I was so mad at myself. I didn't verify the time, but I'm sure it was 1.32. I'm sure it was. Then it just started happening. Not all the time, just enough. 7.37 a.m., answer wrong number. 6.19 p.m., finish fifth coffee. 1.51 a.m., get up to relieve yourself. 2.20 p.m., open umbrella before downpour begins. They were all like that. Idiot things, like telling me when I'd get a paper cut or that some guy would honk at me, or that my computer would reboot for an update. Stupid stuff. Stuff no one cares about. Stuff you don't bother telling anyone about because it just doesn't matter. It freaked me out. I thought at first it might build to some horrifying revelation, like a car crash or cancer or downsizing. Even when Addison and I started going through major stuff, nothing. That I'd fumble my keys at 7.01 when unlocking my door, yes, but not that she left to stay at her mom's for the weekend. What is it that knows the most mundane events of my life? I keep trying to figure that out. Maybe it's some glitch in the Matrix. Maybe it's AI in the surveillance state. I don't know. It makes no sense. Maybe a future version of myself is leaving me coded messages. If so, future me is way smarter than current me. I think about these things at night. A lot. More than I want to admit. What madness would possess a man, a being, to fixate on such useless, worthless details? Why am I being stalked? Is God watching my every move? There is one fortune cookie message I remember. You never remember them, really, do you? They just blur together. But it was a Thursday at the Chinese buffet down on Jackson. I remember because it was the first date we took after our honeymoon. Addison had General Zhao's, like she always does, and she laughed when she opened her fortune. She handed it to me. You'll be lucky in love. Guess I am, she said, grinning. I don't remember what we talked about or when the buffet went out of business or even why exactly we stopped listening to each other. But I remember that stupid fortune and I remember it was 12.43 at night the first time she arrived home after a business trip and I remember that she beat me by 105 points at Scrabble one time. Her old phone would stay at 3% battery for more than an hour and then die. There was a way she jangled her keys I could pick out in a crowd. At some moments, I stopped noticing these things. I stopped paying attention. It's just what happens sometimes, right? Things happen. But that's what really gets me, I think. What keeps me up at night. I think deep down, I don't really worry where the messages come from. I worry that someday I'll open the fortune cookie and it'll be empty. Well, thank you, Tim, for reading that. You did. Uh, you made it sound better than I remember writing it. <laughs> well, thank you. I, <laughs> I, that's a real compliment. Yeah, no, interesting story. So, 
<laughs> this will sound weird asking you a question right after I read it. Yeah. So, but the so he was getting messages on his phone calendar. Yeah. But the fortune cookie was a separate thing. Yes. Okay. I think it's just the more the idea, the connection, the the. You remember the fortune cookie was this random, just random thing. Uh-huh. And then like... And, so, and he connected that with the random things that yeah. would pop up on his yeah. phone that yeah. were predicting future things. It was... Because it was like he was getting mundane fortunes on his phone. Yeah. Like little glimpses of the future. But... I mean, it's kind of like that. Yeah. And I mean, and obviously the, the, the parallelism sort of like... You usually remember all the mundane things about his wife mm-hmm. and doesn't. And now it's like, well, whatever being is doing this... Maybe they won't stop caring too. Mm, okay. Yeah. Interesting. It's, it's a weird idea when it came up with it. I could try to make it tie it all together. I think it works pretty well, but yeah, it's hard to articulate exactly. It kind of hangs there. <laughs> it does kind of hang there. Hopefully, letting you ruminate over it a bit. And yes. Maybe it'll uh, stick under the reader's skin like it stuck under the main character's or, skin. Or, or at least then you'll you'll get your, your fortune going and be like, oh, I read a story about this one time. <laughs> it was weird. It's a nice little uh, case study there. Yes, yeah, there I you guess. go. Or object. What's that, what's that called where an object has an important part oh, yeah, of the like, uh, plot? Not a MacGuffin, but... No. Uh, German expressionism. No. <laughs> <laughs> a thematic... Well, yeah, I guess there was a lot of meaning tied to a specific object yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. All right. So that was our bit of story. So we have a little bit of time left. We do. It's been a while. It's been probably too long, Nick. So it's time. It is time. For pun times. Yes, it's back. Fun times. It's been almost a year, man. man. I, I think crazy. I think we should stop all our podcasts and just do pun times <laughs> once a week. <laughs> just, and people just our audience go through the roof, or we would lose what little audience we have. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but yeah, puns stick with people, right? Don't they? They yeah. can they get under people's skin. Yeah, under people's skins. At least my dad puts up puns all the time. He has a pun calendar, a joke calendar, and he just puts them on Facebook just for fun. I, you know, them. I've noticed that. I wasn't sure if that was your dad or your mom, but no, that's my dad. He loves. Yeah, he loves his pun calendar. <laughs> okay. Well, we need a theme for our pun times here next. Well, we've been talking about things that get under your skin. True. So, how about body parts? <laughs> It's as good as anything else we could. Yes. We could. Uh, well, I'll hand it to you. It was your idea. I don't know if I want the credit, but thank you. <laughs> uh, hopefully I didn't just put my foot in my mouth. No. Well, we needed something. <laughs> <laughs> I had to think about that a little bit. <laughs> All right. Well, well, if you knows it, you knows it. <laughs> he who has ears, let him hear, if, if you dare. Yeah, it's neither hair nor, nor there. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> I was trying to get ahead. <laughs> Tim, you just got to make sure you toe the line. Mm. You're giving me a belly full here. <laughs> it's not quite fair, but you know, if, if, if you have a, I know this is not going to work, <laughs> but it would be great if you get the word uvula somewhere, <laughs> if you can swallow it. Um, <laughs> got a couple of mine, but they're better. Uh, response. Com- yeah. So, yeah. Okay, I gotta get, okay, I'll get a good solid one so you can respond. Yeah. I'll thigh real hard. <laughs> You'll thigh real hard. <laughs> nice job, Nick. You nailed it. Well, I, sometimes I'm on the ball. Well, thanks for paying attention. <laughs> you know, doctors say that uh, laughter is best medicine, so I guess puns will heal you. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out another good one that I can low bet you. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, okay. <laughs> well, you know the real reason that Eve ate the fruit? No. She was jealous because it was Adam's apple. <laughs> it was Adam's apple? Adam's apple, yeah. Nick, don't give me l- no lip. <laughs> <laughs> Just ribbing you. <laughs> I was close. She almost got me by a whisker. <laughs> all right, Tim, I must ask, m- must ask you a question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all ears. Did we already do an ear one? <laughs> I think we might have. That's okay. Uh, it, we have two of them. <laughs> well, if we, if we were in a competition, I think we'd be neck to neck. But, mm, mm, mm. but I wouldn't want to waste any puns. <laughs> you gotta admit that was pretty hip. Yeah, yeah. I don't care, Nick. As long as you don't don't make me the butt of any of the jokes. 
<laughs> I won't do it. <laughs> There's an astronomical joke we would make right here, but... <laughs> Boo. Boo. Nick, you better nipple that in the bud. <laughs> you know what the most untrusty worth part of your body is? No. The fibia. Uh, the f- Isn't fibia? Yeah, that's... I think so, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah there we go. Aww. I ruined it, but there you go. <laughs> no bones about it. <laughs> All right, Nick, let's not browbeat this thing into oblivion. <laughs> I'd say we get, we've given our audience some good ribbing. I, I think so. We, we've, we put a lot of heart into it. <laughs> yep. All right. All right. Well, good. Um, I think most of those puns were pretty flesh. <laughs> pretty flesh? Fresh. I don't know. Oh, f- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not going to complain. I don't have much skin in this game. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I get, we better stop her before we get cheeky. Okay. <laughs> Fine with me. I don't have too much teeth in this game. <laughs> oh boy. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Before okay. before we get put into a cell, let's stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. I mean, well, a place like a place you, like where we're at right now, I'm sure they got some nasty bowels they could throw us into. I'll tell you what. If you're going to go into a pun times with Tim, you need to have some spine. So. <laughs> Some good backbone. <laughs> good backbone. Yes. Yes. All right. So. As long as you can stomach it. As long as you can stomach. Yes. Live or die. <laughs> okay. You win. <laughs> if I go to get pancreas in there, we'll be set. <laughs> Live or are you, die. Are, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> okay. 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 I gotta. I, good. I gotta keep my chin up. <laughs> All right. I think we're. Are we actually done with pun times now or not? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No. All right, no. All right. I'm good. All, All right. right. <clears throat> serious now. Back serious. to serious. Serious. Okay. So. Um, Thank you, everyone, for putting it with pun times. Sorry to be such a heel. <laughs> um, I really want to keep finishing up one more, but that's... <laughs> it's, it's harder. It's I can't think of the last word. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the... Oh, with the Yuval uh, thing? No, 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 I can't figure it out. Oh, so. figure... <laughs> I went over my head. Yes, exactly. So, anyways, I think before we drag this into overtime, I don't know... I know everything you're just waiting for me to say something. I know. We're we're like neck deep in these things by now. <laughs> um You're doing our actual wrap up. I, I I I'm thinking about it. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> Can't keep kicking it down the road. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. So real wrap up. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Uh we're still uh we're gonna get out of here one way or another. These office guys, they are not looking happy at us. Like no, no one's nearly this cheerful at this place. No, no, they're not near this cheerful. They are they're they seem like they're they they would really just like to fly out of here. Yes. But that wasn't really a pun, just no. more of a oblique reference, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. So. Okay, we'll be we'll be good now. Um so let's, if you want to cheek us out, you need to go to the <laughs> <laughs> <Stop. laughs> trains of thought. Dot com. We would love to have you visit us. Wonderfully. We will still be saying hopefully next month. You can um, check out this website. Also, please check out uh, Let's Finally Watch This Season 2. The podcast for casual movie fans who have always meant to watch classic movies. Yes. And follow us on a podcast of choice. Feel free to tell your friends, your family members, your... Your boss. Your dermatologist, whatever. Yes. Your midwife. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess I don't have one of those. But. Oh, no. My wife does. So yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, okay. It's on the brain. Yes, it's on the brain. Yeah, you're going to have to make some um, womb for another kid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we better get out of here before we... Yes, uh, do your soundtrack. Okay, my soundtrack. I actually picked this song only because I've been one. I love this song and it gave me a good excuse. So it's called from a game called Shivers, and I picked it because the game's called Shivers. And we were talking about things that got under your skin, mm-hmm. things that will give you goosebumps. Things that give you goosebumps, exactly. So this is called Cerebral Rose Jam, remixed by Israfel. It's just a really neat song. It's a little longer than we pick sometimes, but not Blue Worm Jim Length, only about 
almost five minutes. Yeah, but and it's a, it's a very interesting style, very uh, unique sound. I have to agree with the uh, overclocked remix judge who said that he thought this would be a good makeout music. Oh, okay. I was like, yeah, I could. That makes sense. All right. Um, well, <laughs> I mean, I have not tested it myself. <laughs> okay, audience, you're adult. No. Um, all right. Well, then we need to get out here. I hope you enjoy. Uh, this has been Nick, and this is Tim. <laughs> bye bye. So long.